You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Kush Parikh and Corey Johnson. Be sure to check us out weekly every Monday and Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds, that's K-N-O-W-S bleeds, on Instagram at the nosebleeds, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds podcast. That's K N O W S Bleeds. It's your boy. You already know it's your boy Kush, and I got my co host, as always, Mr. Corey Johnson. Corey, how you doing? Yes, sir. Back at it again. Nosebleeds. So happy and thankful that we're here. Sorry about the delay, but yeah, it's a little Friday, Friday yeah. morning episode for y'all. Yeah, little 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 kick little kick started to the the holiday weekend. Yeah. All right. Well, let's start off with on this day on July third, we're kicking it way back to 1939 World's Fair. Joe Spritz of the San Francisco Seals, a minor league team, attempted to set a world record. 800 feet from the ground, baseballs were being thrown from inside a blimp until Joe could grab at least one. The first four balls sailed nowhere close to him, but on attempt number five, a ball came straight at him at more than 130 miles an hour. Sprints got in position and was able to catch the ball in his glove, but they were, it was traveling at such a high velocity, and the momentum carried the glove right to his face, damaging his nose fracturing his jaw, sending five teeth flying in the air and knocking him out unconscious. Sprints would spend the next two months in the hospital and adding insult to injury, failed to hold onto the ball so he didn't even get the world record. Secure the bag, man. Got to secure the bag. I know. That's a a funny story. Um, Really sad. It's really sad on all accounts. He did all that and didn't even get the world record. Who said, <laughs> said my I'm lips not... look like hamburger? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to be rude, but that's funny to me. I mean, it's, it's just sad. It's just sad on so many levels. If you're dumb enough to attempt something like that, like, you deserve to be laughed at if you it's, fail. I mean, he got close, but, you know. You got to secure the bag there. You got you to gotta hold on to the ball, man. You got to hold on to the ball. But at least got something coming at you 130 miles an hour i know i know i know but if you go and attempt this at least you got to make sure you secure the bag but why, right? why would you try to catch it overhand would you not try to catch it underhand i don't know that's kind of i mean I baseball honestly yeah that's kind of weird i don't know i think i would try underhand first at least i guess like your natural like his yeah, natural that's what reaction I'm saying. as yeah. a baseball player is to put the glove up and so like he was but if you know something's it. coming down at you from 800 feet, I wouldn't even risk that. I would be like, all right, let me go underhand first and, like, basket catch it. And then if, like, and then maybe, but I don't know. It's a bold move, Cotton. It's a very bold move. All right. Well, we got an NFL jam-packed episode for you guys. We're talking about the upcoming 2020 seasons, players to look out for. So let's start off with – Players that will or have dot, dot, dot. First thing we'll go with is players that will have a breakout year. Who do you have, Corey? 
Well, I think we got to go with Kyler Murray here. I mean, he seems as if uh, a lot of people have a lot of expectations for him. He had a really good rookie season. I was really impressed with him. Um, Obviously, he has some struggles. I mean, he plays for the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, sorry, Cardinals fans, but come on now. (laughs) But compared to Josh Rosen's rookie season a year prior, Kyler Murray held his own pretty well, even though majority of the time he was having to scramble out the pocket and create, you know, something out of nothing. I just remember uh, how he was just able to make plays and he really made the Cliff Kingsbury system look very, very much like a potent offense when it works. So they got him a nice little weapon in that trade with Houston. And I think you're underselling that. (laughs) You're underselling that. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, we still have to, like, see if that can actually is going to work out. Like, we're we're assuming that's going to work. This man man didn't have a drop in 2018. For real. I get it. I get it. I know it's D-Hop. I know it's D-Hop. But, you know, we still have to to see if the connection is going to work. Because, I mean, I'm not doubting him at all. I mean, anytime you play with Brock Osweiler and your numbers still look nice, I mean, that that says a lot about you. But uh, he's got DeAndre Hopkins coming in. Obviously still got Fitz there. Um, I just want to see, like, the steps that he takes. uh, And I want to see how well – is he going to be playing? Because obviously if Colin Murray is balling out and he takes leaps and bounds, uh, he's going to have the Cardinals in a position where they're not only competing, but they might have a shot at potentially snatching a wild card spot. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I got Kyler Murray having a breakout year too. Had a good rookie season. His passing numbers, uh, I mean, on paper, it didn't look that great, but you look at this, 64 and a half percent completion percentage from a rookie that's impressive and then the the biggest like red flag from his rookie year was that he was sacked 48 times and that was tied for number one in the nfl but i mean when you have no no line but he even came out and said he said most of those if not all of those sacks were my fault and that as a first year that shows a lot of maturity and and in the last three games, he was only sacked three times. So that shows that whether it was the play calling, whether it was the chemistry between the O-line and the quarterback, it's, it got better. And then adding, obviously, a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, they may not always need to send pressure because they'll need guys in coverage now. You got old man Larry Fitz, you got Christian Kirk, and then very sneaky and fast Andy Isabella. And then also their, their backfield now, I mean, David Johnson was good for one, two years, but was getting injured. And now they brought in Kenyon Drake, who flourished in the Cardinals offense. So yeah, I forgot about that. Towards the end, uh, towards the end of the season, he was doing some serious. And not even Kenyon Drake, too. Chase Edmonds, too. Like, yeah, they, they have some yeah. ballers on their they team. Got and some, I think, they got some players, man. That offense I think, is sneaky I, good. I think the biggest thing also is their defense that will help Kyler Murray. He was always having to play from behind. And, I mean, when you're playing from behind, you know they're going to pass it. They're not going to run it as much. So, I think – I remember when I was playing fantasy football last year, every time – every opponent that the Cardinals were playing, I was starting their tight end because they were atrocious at guarding tight ends. But now you bring in a guy like Isaiah Simmons, and you also have Devondre Campbell, who they brought in too, and their secondary is young and good too. So, I mean, now I think – slowly but surely the defense will fall into place and the offense will fall into place as well. And the Cardinals could be 
like we saw with the 49ers last year from a number two pick in the draft to the Super Bowl. I don't know if I'd say the Cardinals are going to go to the Super Bowl per se, but I would definitely wouldn't be surprised if they're fighting for a wild card spot. Yeah, there's been a lot of turnaround in that division for sure. Like the Rams a couple years ago, obviously last year with the 49ers, maybe this year the the Cardinals are next up. There's been a lot of worst to first right. uh, seasons in that division. So it's op- I don't want to say it's open season really, but I, I, I'm not discounting them at all because just because they're the Cardinals. But I still think that's the toughest division in the league though right there. Oh, yeah. I mean, we still got Russell obviously. Wilson. Still got Russell Wilson with the Seahawks. Exactly. The Rams are not bad. They're pretty – they're still – they've reloaded well. And then uh, the 49ers are still in the mix as well. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. But I, I think the Cardinals, if Kyler Murray balls out and has a breakout year like we're expecting him to, it's not surprising whatsoever if they make some noise this year and get into the playoffs. Yeah, we've seen a lot of second-year quarterbacks in recent memories in, like, the last two years. I mean, recent memories, Mahomes, MVP, Lamar Jackson, MVP in his second year. So, I mean, who's to say that Kyler Murray can't do it? And, and, and it's funny that you mentioned those type of quarterbacks because Kyler Murray somewhat fits that same mold as Lamar Jackson, as uh, Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying, like, he's – those players but he kind of fits that that archetype of being able to be a dual threat do it with both your legs and your arm and I think that that that's kind of what the new uh trend is in the NFL you're going to start to see that um one of the uh rookies that got drafted this year that maybe some people think could fit into that same mold is Tua Tagovailoa so you're starting to see that that the the it's kind of out the window now the stigma of oh you can't have a guy at quarterback unless he's uh like 63 big arm uh 220 you know mm-hmm. you know just a big guy like that kind of is out the window now it's like a lot of guys are going with speed guys who can run guys who can both throw guys who can just make plays and whether it be with their arm whether it be with their legs Either way, the dual threat quarterback is is not a trend anymore. It's 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 now uh, a legitimate uh, a position in the NFL that I think a lot more teams are going to start going towards in the future. Right. All right. Let's move on to our player who is most likely to have a slump year in this year. Who you got, Corey? I'm going with Jimmy G. Jimmy Garoppolo, no hate whatsoever. I think Jimmy Mr. GQ, Jimmy G, eh? Hey, I think Jimmy G, um, we've seen it before where, like, a team kind of comes off of getting to the Super Bowl and they don't look the same. Or they had, like, a really breakout year, breakout season, and they just don't look the same. And I think majority of the time it starts with, the offense not being right or whatever the key component was uh, last season. uh, I I don't think it's going to be the same. Like they lost Emmanuel Sanders, which was a big part of their offense. He's no longer there. And I mean, lost Matt Breida too. That's, that's, that's another big loss. But at the same time, I think like with, with the main criticism with Jimmy Garoppolo, it was throughout the postseason. Hell, even throughout the, the regular season, the, the main stigma about him was that he was just a game manager. He wasn't somebody who you can call upon to go win you the game. You could even look at the Super Bowl 
And the biggest thing that uh, a lot of people looked at was the the way the difference in how Andy Reid trusted Patrick Mahomes and really just let him go out and just just play and was like I'm putting the ball in your hands and whether you throw a pick whether you uh, go out and and score a touchdown like we'll live with the results versus it seemed as if Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers were a bit hesitant when it came to putting the ball in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands and when all season long you really haven't been having to rely on your quarterback I kind of think that's going to trail over into next year and like I said losing Sanders to especially to another NFC uh, opponent big loss for the 49ers but especially for Jimmy G that was one of the guys he was he always loved to connect with so I don't know I just think that uh it reminds me similar to the situation where the Falcons were coming off a Super Bowl year everybody was expecting them to 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 bounce back and Matt Ryan coming off an MVP year did not look anywhere near the Matt Ryan of uh, the year before. So I just think that Jimmy G and the 49ers, they take a little bit of a step back this year. Yeah, and we also tend to forget that Joe Staley retired. I mean, they did replace him with Trent Williams, which is not a bad replacement at all, but we'll definitely have to see if he can sustain. I mean, we heard about all the injuries and health concerns with Trent Williams. My slump player of the year is going to go to Nick Chubb. I mean, the guy had a phenomenal season in 2019, burst onto the scene second in the NFL with almost 1,500 rushing yards, eight rushing touchdowns, almost 300 receiving yards. But in the last three games of the season, didn't break 100 rushing yards, and he had a seven uh, 100 rush yard games. So, I mean, dude's a beast. Averaged five yards a carry. That's first down every two runs. So, I mean, dude had a hell of a year. But the reason why I see him having a slump year is because I think Kareem Hunt is going to get more incorporated in the offense. Kareem Hunt came back mm-hmm. after serving a seven, seven or eight game suspension. I think I it was it. eight. I believe it was eight okay. games. But, yeah, he coming back. And I think Kareem Hunt, as the season moved on, we saw him getting a bigger and bigger role. And – also, the biggest thing with the Browns is their new coaching staff. We don't know what's going to happen with their coaching staff. So I think the Browns are, especially offense coordinator Alex Manpel, he's going to use a running back by committee. So we can definitely see Nick Chubb's number drop off like crazy. Not to say that his production value is going to be less, but his total numbers are not going to be like we saw this year. So, And plus, we know – Alex Van Pelt, who played quarterback in the NFL, and he's uh, been a quarterback coach most of his career. So I think a lot of the focus is going to be on the passing game, especially when you have OBJ and Jarvis Landry as your receivers. So that's also another reason why I think his numbers are going to dip. Yeah, yeah. I think that the Browns uh, have a lot to prove this season. And I think uh, it's going to take some time for – them to obviously adjust to the different scheme and the different coaching staff, like you said. And like you mentioned, like as far as like the the different changes and them maybe going more of a passing offense, I think that uh, will somewhat decrease the production value of Nick Chubb, who by no account is a bad player. It's just that 
Um, I think that they're going to be taking the ball out of his hands and more so, like you said, going the same way that a lot of different teams are starting to do, like what the Eagles are doing, what the Patriots are are known for doing. And I think it's, it's, it's not a bad thing to go running back by committee because I think it kind of decreases the likelihood of injury because when you look at a guy like Derrick Henry or Christian McCaffrey, yeah, they're just blowing up and just putting up crazy stats, but it does increase the likelihood that one bad hit or one bad move and then boom out for the season or out for, you know, six to uh, six to 10 weeks or whatever the case may be. And that's just something that, you don't need to happen when you're trying to compete for a Super Bowl. Yeah, and I definitely think Nick Chubb is going to be their power back, their goal line back, regardless, like without a doubt. But I think if they go more pass heavy, which I think they will, they're going to have those packages and formations where Kareem Hunt is going to be the back because he's uh, the better receiving back out of the two players. And yeah, he's definitely showed that when he was at Kansas City. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on. We got our most overhyped. Rookie, who you got, Corey? I'm going with Henry Ruggs out of Alabama on the Las Vegas Raiders. People oh, Raider forget. fans, close your ears. People forget they're now in Las Vegas now. But unfortunately, I feel like it's not a knock on him, but it doesn't help the fact that he's already injured right now, uh, unfortunately. And I didn't feel as if – like, obviously, the, the Raiders want to improve their offense and want to – do something with their offense, but it's kind of, it kind of hurts you as a wide receiver when you go to a team that doesn't trust their quarterback. We already know that the Raiders do not trust Derek Carr, which is why they brought in Marcus Mariota. And when you have a quarterback in Derek Carr, who isn't really noted for taking like chances, like as far as like with the deep ball, Henry Ruggs is like, if you look at majority of his tape, he's known for like his speed and getting downfield as a deep threat. So I don't know how this injury is going to affect him going forward. I don't know whether or not he's going to be able to fit into that system with Derek Carr or whoever is going to be at quarterback. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of ifs and a lot of risk involved with him with uh, this, uh, with this team and with, and with him as a rookie. So I'm just not sure how he's going to be able to pan out not just this season, but maybe potentially going forward. So we'll see. But best of luck and best of wishes to him. Though. Yeah, and I think when with the Raiders, he's going to immediately have to be the number one receiver because we saw Tyrell Williams. He cannot be – he's a great complement to a number one receiver. I'm not saying he's a bad receiver, but he just cannot fit that number one receiver role. And that's why I think Henry Rugg is going to be forced into that receiver number one role and right out the gate that's so hard to do like as yeah. a wide re- as a wide receiver as a rookie you're automatically having to be the number one guy and not like, only that it's it's th- this whole time with this whole covid going on rookie mini camps is getting shortened if they even have one they might just jump straight into regular training camps so learning the whole playbook a brand new playbook it's gonna be tough for a rookie and exactly and we're just talking about like a rookie like we saw the difference it was like a difference it makes from going facing off against uh, the second best corner on a team. And I'm referencing uh, Juju Smith-Schuster of the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was a big difference for him to go from going up against like the second best guy on the defensive side of the ball for the other team 
and then all of a sudden you're the guy, you're, you're wide receiver one going up against the top corners in the league. And, yeah, I mean, I don't want to knock him too much because he is going up against uh, some top guys, but at the same time he doesn't have much to work with at the quarterback position, but it makes, it makes a whole lot of a difference. And as a rookie, you coming out of college – facing off against, you know, collegiate competition. Now you got to face the best of the best. That's tough already to deal with. And that's a yeah. lot of pressure to put on a guy who you, uh, you know, went ahead and went and got in the first round. So Yeah. And it's actually crazy because he was the first receiver taken off the board, even though he wasn't even the number one receiver at his school. Jerry Judy was. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. Um for my most overhyped rookie, I'm going to go with Mekhi Becton, taking number 11 <laughs> overall from out of Louisville. Uh, he was a third tackle taken in the draft after Andrew Thomas and Dredrick Wills. But um, I think after his draft combine, he just soared up draft boards because of his display of size, strength, speed. And the biggest thing which I did not like was that he was compared to Jonathan Ogden, who is arguably – the greatest left tackle in NFL history. And I think from a high a size, strength, and speed perspective, he was compared to them. But, I mean, that's big shoes to fill still. And um, for me, the New York Jets have a lot of work to do on the offensive end. I mean, you got to – Clearly, clearly. I mean, that's why Jamal Adams wants out. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And, and you're arguably making Makai Becton your best offensive lineman. <laughs> like as a rookie and I just don't think he'll fit the role because I mean looking back at his tape the guy like in Louisville was falling off of blocks he was he was not getting low enough like and he was getting you know beat off the edge by uh, pass rushers and I mean in the NFL the edge rushers are literally defined by strength and quickness those are the world-class athletes you look at Khalil Mack, you look at Bondi. Yeah, I was just about to say that, Khalil Mack. J.J. Watt, like, you're going to have to go up against these guys, and I don't think he'll be able to do it. Like, size and speed is traits you can't teach, and you can teach technique. So, I mean, if he has the right coaching staff around him, then good for him. I think his career can bode well for him. But if not, I don't – I think he's, he's going to be overhyped. I think you can teach technique. I think it's just – it takes a while to be able to learn it or be able to to find the right uh, ground for it. I think you can you can get better with your footwork, but somebody who has to like work on their footwork versus somebody who already naturally knows how to do it is it's just night and day. Like I remember Miles Turner in the NBA. Like one of the things that was a knock on him and his. Uh, when he was a uh, his draft profile, they said that he needs to work on his running. I was like, "What?" I was like, "They said he he runs awkward. Like he needs to fix his running." I was like, "That's such a weird thing to say about an NBA player." But but that, those are the type of things that like are differences between certain guys. Like everything gets so uh, looked at, and every little minute detail that you might be thinking like, "Oh, that's a no big deal," but if you think about it, you're, if you're investing in somebody or you're investing in paying a guy millions of dollars, you got to know the ins and outs, what they're all about before you, you know, add them into your organization. And I just think that sometimes guys, they, they look good on paper or they look great in the combine, but 
there's just something that's missing that prevents them from being able to to excel. And like I said, it's not even always their fault. It it also coincides with the organization that they're going to. So, I mean, you just look at uh, Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon should have been and could have been a really good all-time Hall of Fame potential uh, wide receiver. But I think he just kind of got hindered and enabled in in, in ways that was uh, bad for his health and bad for him overall. That I think if maybe he went to a better organization, maybe he could have gotten treatment, gotten help right away for it. But who knows? Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to our most underrated rookie this upcoming season. Who do you have, Corey? I'm going to go with Clyde, the Glide, Edwards, Hilaire. Yes, you sir. already called him Clyde the Glide? Come on, you can't <laughs> Yo. give that nickname away. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> nah, but that kid moves, man. He does move. I remember I was watching LSU Alabama. He was just dominating. I was like, yo, they can't tackle this dude. And – him getting inserted into that offense with Kansas City, Mahomes is going to love him. Mahomes is going to love him when he plays with him. I just think that he fits perfectly with them. I think if he's uh, able to be great as a run blocker – or I'm, I'm sorry, not a run blocker, but be able to be good as a blocker and be able to maybe catch passes out of the backfield as well, that's going to just provide Mahomes with another weapon that he can utilize – along with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and all the other weapons that he already possesses, you throw him in there and it's like a Swiss army knife. It's like, what do you want? You need somebody to block for you, Mahomes? I got you. You need somebody to catch passes as a check down? Got you. It's like, that's just going to make this team that much better and that much of a potent offense because you don't know. It'll put you in a situation, especially if they go RPO. Who do you take? Do you take, (laughs) do you take this rookie who Mahomes might hand off to, or is he going to just keep it himself and just take it? So you kind of, it's going to put other teams in a situation where they're going to have to be on the lookout. And I think I'm not saying that he'll have the immediate impact that Kareem Hunt had when he burst onto the scene, but I think that Kansas city might have found themselves a nice little diamond in the rough. Yeah. Well, I, I think that a lot of people were kind of, we're kind of uh, bashing the Chiefs for taking him in the first round, especially given the other running backs that are available. I mean, you have the Jonathan Taylors and DeAndre Swifts, like guys who were great. Not to say that Clyde was not good, but I, I just – I absolutely love the fit for him in Kansas City. I mean, the guy reminds me of a Maurice Jones-Drew mixed with a Darren Sproles. Right, exactly. And I'm exactly. not – and, and – and those guys were so successful. And even like a Ray Rice, they were so successful because they're so tiny. And these guys so, are so, so big ex- and strong and, so, and explosive. so explosive that these guys can literally hide behind their six foot three, six foot six linemen. And then by the time the, the freaking Red Sea parts, these guys are bursting Gone. through the hole. Gone. So that, that's why I, I love the addition by Kansas City. Like you said, with all the weapons they already have, like they don't even need a bank on him for the run game it's just like that's what i mean it's like i can get maybe 10 touches a game and he will still be great because the chiefs already have every single defense in this league on their toes exactly it just adds another element to the offense that you have to be aware of because you already thinking like okay i know mahomes can do damage with his legs i know mahomes can do damage with his arm it's like oh shoot now i have to worry about this running back too and it just gives you it just gives them another option to go to 
And the great thing about having options is that unlike other rookies that have to come into their organization and take the toll of having to be the guy from day one, when you come into a championship team like the, the a championship organization like the Chiefs, uh, you could even like maybe even put like uh, the Patriots or the Ravens or like teams like that that are always in contention. Um, they they and they have like an offense or they have like their defense already set and you kind of just fit in as a piece. You can just play carefree and when when guys are able to play carefree and be loose with it, I think that that there's no pressure on them and they're able to go out and perform at a uh, at a better high rate. But we'll see. We'll see. For I sure. think that this is a very underrated pick, though. Who you got, though, Fish? Well, Andy Reid is going to love him, that running back. But I got K.J. Hamler, the second-round pick for the Broncos. He's getting overlooked a lot. Like, you don't hear any teams really talk about – or any – sorry, any fans or any analysts talk about him, really, because they got Jerry Judy in the first round, and all yeah. eyes are on Jerry Judy. And, obviously, that's why he's overlooked. I mean, you have Jerry Judy – you have Cortland Sutton, you have Noah Fant, and they're going to demand a lot of attention from defenses and secondaries. And what does that do? That leaves K.J. Hamler wide open in the slot. Wide open. Wide and, open. and the thing K.J. Hamler is known for is literally stretching defenses with his speed and quickness. So they're going to love – Vic Vangio is going to love K.J. Hamler. And, I mean – the Broncos also have a great run game too. So it's not like they're just going to be a pass coverage. They have Phillip Lindsay, they have Rolls Royce and they just added Melvin Gordon too. So I mean, they I forgot about that. Low key. I forgot that they got Melvin Gordon. That's yeah, so they, true. they got a run game. Now they have a pass game. And I really think Drew Locke is going to have a great year this year. I mean, he, I, yeah, he showed Locke. that he was great last got year. Weapons now. He's got some serious weapons now. Exactly. And especially when you're in a division with the Chiefs, the Chiefs? and the yeah. Raiders and the Chargers who can play if they play up to their expectations. But, I mean, especially with the Chiefs, the only way to beat the Chiefs is to literally I'll go mono e mono. Yeah, literally. It's, you it's, can't it's you can't take a, you can't take a drive off. You have literally every single drive has to be a touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally sure. gonna be like the first of sixty points win. Yeah, I mean so. I would I I don't think any NFL fan is gonna complain if that's a game they see for the Chiefs every single week. Exactly. So but you um just you can't afford to to take plays off and you yeah. have to be able to to convert on every single play. Yeah, in that division, I mean, you're gonna have, you're gonna need all the firepower you can get, and I think KJ Hamler will be a sneaky little weapon for the Broncos. For sure. All right, now let's move on. Recently, Chris Jones expressed on Twitter that he might be holding out this upcoming season if he doesn't get a deal done with Kansas City. Man. Chris Jones, uh, I mean, obviously the highly covered defensive tackle, replied to a tweet regarding the Chiefs who franchise tagged him. uh, And the tweet was NFL Network basically expressing that even though the deadline for for a contract extension is coming up, Jones wants nothing less than $20 million. And he replied to this tweet saying, if I don't get that, I basically, or I won't play. Le'Veon Bell told me about that. And for you guys that don't know, Le'Veon Bell, he had this whole drama fest with the Steelers. And he was franchise tagged in 2017, performed like a top five running back in, after performing like a top five running back in 2016, 
And then he decided they didn't give him an extension after 2017. Then in 2018, they franchise tagged him as well. So he was like, all right, if y'all ain't going to give me an extension, I'm done. I'm sitting out the season. So he sat out the season. And then following the 2018 season, he hit free agency and was signed by the Jets. So Chris Jones was talking about going the Le'Veon Bell route. And the thing is, he's only 25 years. And I would say he's the number two defensive tackle in the league after Aaron Donald. Wow. I mean, if it wasn't for Chris Jones, they they wouldn't the Chiefs wouldn't win a Super Bowl. The Chiefs would not, and I'm like plain cut and dry, they would not win that Super Bowl if Chris Jones. And the crazy thing is, is he shows his dedication to the Chiefs and football. The guy was battling injuries uh throughout the entire playoffs. And literally they they made it a, a point to where they're gonna bring Chris Jones in every third down so he can apply pressure to the quarterback. And, I mean, it worked out because he was such a vital piece in them winning. And But let's look at this from both perspectives. First, if you're Chris Jones, are you holding out until you get a contract extension? I think – I think he, now he's he, – he, so he's not in the final year of his contract, right? Uh, no, they just franchise tagged him. Okay. Okay. So they just hit him with a franchise tag. Okay. And the franchise tag is worth $16.1 million. That's not too bad. I mean, that's like, but again, but again, but again, but again, if you, but again, the thing is, is that if you're Chris Jones and you, if you just accept the franchise tag and you just say, okay, like whatever, like no big deal, then you're pretty much, you kind of lose your leverage. Like this is like coming off of a championship where you literally, because you just said that he was the main reason that they won. You don't think that his agent is probably telling him that you don't think that, his his uh his friends and people are telling him that you are like the main reason why the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. So he he has the leverage to be able to hold that over Kansas City and tell them like, look, if you don't pay me twenty million, you might be missing out on me, and that's gonna hurt the team for sure. So so you think you think he should hold out and not? I think he has. I think he has leverage, and I think he has leverage now. Now as much as you have leverage is how how far are you willing to go with it and um if you think that 16 mil uh compared to getting the full 20 that you're looking for is not is not good enough then by all means then go the route of of Le'Veon Bell and, and hold out now well I don't I don't think it's per se the the four million dollar difference I think it's the fact that you're getting a long-term extension. Exactly. The guy's 25. Exactly. He wants still, to make yeah. sure that he's secure for his right. entire life. Because you don't want to wake up one day and just find out, like, you got traded or you got cut or whatever. You want to be able to know, I got a five-year deal laid out, 20 mil guaranteed in the bank. Or just injury. The biggest thing is injury. You sign that franchise tag, you get injured. Who's You may not even get 10 mil a year. Exactly, and so then that's you kind of have to go back, to, and then you have to kind of go back to the drawing board where you're going to, you have to prove yourself mm-hmm. to the rest of the league again that you can still ball out. So I get, I get the move. I absolutely get the move because you only got a certain amount of years to to play this game, and uh, I mean, you're saying 25 years old is is young, like. That's like way. I, I know that's I know that's way young. Like, but at the same time, like the dude feels like yo, I got to get this money. So I feel him, 
and I understand completely. Now, if you're Kansas City, are you ready to shelve out 20 mil? If you were Kansas City, because you got to shelve out 20 mil to Chris Jones. Well, well, if I'm Chris Jones first, I'm going to go with if I'm Chris Jones, I'm holding out for, for damn sure. I'm holding out. No ifs, ands, or buts. I mean, they don't have a Super Bowl without the guy, and he can hold that over his head, like you said. And the next year, think about it. They got to pay Pat Mahomes. They got to pay Pat Mahomes. And he's going to get 40 mil plus a year. So who's to say if they're like, ah, shit, we're tied up with money. Obviously, the they're going to go with Pat Mahomes and over Chris Jones. So if they got to let him walk, they got to let him walk. And, and the I thing mean, is, the, guy yeah, has been, the guy has been doing it over and over and over again. So. And the thing is also is like, it's a, a not only they have to pay Mahomes, but it kind of also, depending on how much Mahomes gets, depends on if they're able to beat out Houston with paying Watson. Because if Houston, like, makes Deshaun Watson the highest paid NFL quarterback, then guess what you have to do? You have to up that because you know Mahomes is going to be able to say, like, okay, they just made him the highest paid NFL quarterback. I have a Super Bowl. He does not. <laughs> so well, I think I think talk to me. I think it's a losing situation for the Texans, not so much as the Chiefs, because I the Chiefs are gonna open up their checkbooks to Mahomes regardless. Oh, they don't care how much they have to pay him. But obviously if they sign him before Watson, you get a cheaper, cheaper contract. If you sign him after Watson, I don't think that's gonna make a difference. Yeah, it'll the, make I know it doesn't make yeah, I know like the numbers like won't make a difference because like at the end of the day, like he literally helped them win the Super Bowl. But I think it, it adds on to, like, the situation of having to pay other guys. Right. Because if you're shelving out and having to pay, let's say, something crazy like $50 million, like – I don't know if we'll get to that because that's – I don't damn know. Near, that's damn near, what, 30, 30 maybe over 30% of the salary caps? That's what I mean. I mean. That's what I mean, though. Like, like that's that would be crazy. But either way – you, you wouldn't be able to pay everybody else and you wouldn't be able to keep this championship team together. If I'm Chris Jones, I'm holding out for sure. And if I'm the Kansas City Chiefs, I'm I'm gonna pay Chris Jones. I mean, give him what he wants because get, he's done it with consistency as well. I mean, given what he did in 2018, the guy had 15 and a half sacks as an interior lineman, and that is the craziest part. He was second in the in the or sorry, he was third in the entire NFL when it came to sacks. And then in 2019, this past year, he was the third best interior lineman in sacks with nine sacks and. That was behind Aaron Donald in both the years. So, I mean, Aaron Donald has been balling out, and he got the bag. He got a six-year, $135 million extension in 2018. And the biggest thing that I think goes under the radar is uh, Chris Jones' durability. Throughout his entire career, his four-year career, he's only missed three games. And as a defensive tackle, who's literally the ground and pound of that defense, who literally has to clog up the lanes, that's impressive. So, I think – the uh, Chris Jones should definitely wave that over their head, and so if I'm the Chiefs, I'm 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 signing him. I I have to. I'm not letting him hold out. And the yeah. thing is, as players, like a couple years ago, you're like, no, nah, they'll eventually come back. They're not down to hold out. Yeah, yeah. Because nowadays players, it's different. It's different. There's a lot of That's player really empowerment. Different. A lot it's of player empowerment. Now. It's different now because it's not. You're not so beheld on feeling as if – and I think it, it also depends on who you have, like, around you as a player. Like, if you have 
a lot of people in your ear saying like, just take, just, just, just go back, just go back and just play. But if you're, you're have like a solid foundation of people or you surround yourself with like uh great people that are like cool with you holding out, then that, I think that also helps you out too. Um, another thing, like you said, player empowerment is not only a thing in the NBA, but you're seeing it now trickle into the NFL where players want more, there's more mobility in the NFL than there was in like, just look 10 years ago. There wasn't anywhere near the level of mobility that there is now. Like guys are not staying on the same teams. And I'm not saying it's, you know, like, you know, teams are just letting their like star quarterback leave after their rookie contract or anything like that. But, but there is a lot more mobility and there's a lot more chances of being able to go to uh, different teams and, if if the Chiefs aren't gonna pay him, you know somebody else will. <laughs> exactly. You uh to to the point what you said where his surrounding circles, if he's surrounded by the right people, he'll get that contract and he'll like be hell bent on getting that right contract. That reminds me of have you ever watched Ballers? Yeah, yeah, I have. That reminds Yo, me yeah, of yeah, Vernon. I remember, I remember, I remember. That reminds me of Vernon and his his uh his partner in crime, and basically he was like, No, nah, we want more money. Like they're already offering him a record breaking contract, and he's just like, No, nah, I still want more money. So I mean, like that 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 just reminded me of that. So yeah, Reggie, yeah, yeah. Reggie, See, that's yeah. that's the that's the type of stuff that does happen in mm-hmm. athletes' lives. Because mm-hmm. and like um it also makes me think of like sometimes athletes feel like when they get drafted or when they, you know, quote unquote, make it, they have to give back to everybody who had like, like even like a little bit of an impact in their life. And they have to, they, they feel guilty in a way that they have to, that they, that they got the bag or they did this and now they want to help others. But it's like, dude, like you're kind of shortchanging yourself, not only financially, but it's like you're helping people that, if you didn't have this money, would they really care about you? That right. sort of thing. So I think like that's why like having a great uh, foundation around you is a, is a is a real good thing, and also having the right agent and the right financial people is also helpful too. Because if you have somebody who's just hell bent on trying to get uh trying to get your pockets into your pockets, I mean we've seen it so many times with athletes like Charles Barkley, Kevin Garnett, and so many different other athletes that even Tim Duncan that have gotten robbed pretty much by their agents and so chris jones has every right i think to hold out and i think that if you have the leverage that's what that's the main thing if you have the leverage or you or you can look at a resume or a list of reasons that outweigh like if you can look at why you should hold out versus why you shouldn't and if the reasons for why you should hold out are longer than the reasons why you shouldn't then hold out because what's the worst thing that happens? The worst thing that happens is that you miss out on getting paid this year. Miss out on getting paid this year versus if you do play and get injured, miss out on securing the bag for the next five to six, seven, eight years. Who knows? Well, the, whole, the whole argument with that is the whole Le'Veon Bell situation. Yeah, exactly. he held out and he went to the Jets. He got the money he wanted eventually, but look at him now. He's not playing like the Le'Veon Bell we once knew. True. I mean, that's a big true, thing. but he secured the bag at the end of the day. So I mean, if that's what's more important to you, then then yeah, by all means, go ahead. But let's but, just yeah. say let's just say that Chris Jones decided to play on the franchise tags because both teams couldn't come to an agreement. But this guy's just he loves football so much that he really wants to play. So let's say he did decide to play 
this upcoming season on the franchise tag. Given his resume and his past years, is this a make-or-break season for Chris Jones, whether it's the Chiefs signing him or another team in free agency signing him? I think that uh, as long as he's able to stay healthy and his numbers are – as long as they don't, like, just, like, like fall off like a cliff or, like, it, it just doesn't – because if you're the, – the main thing that anybody looks at is consistency. So, like, you talked about, like, he's always been, like, right behind, like, Aaron Donald or something. Like, if he, like, falls maybe, like, to being, like, the top five guy or instead of, like, being right behind Aaron Donald, he's maybe, like, the fourth or fifth guy behind Aaron Donald, I think teams are not going to, like, look at that and be like, oh, that's crazy. Versus, like, if he's just, like, garbage or doesn't, like, he's, like, nowhere near the level he was the past couple of uh, seasons, I think that's going to play into account. I don't think he'll be garbage. The only – the yeah, only thing exactly. that would beat him would be knock on wood, but would would be an injury. I hope. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. But I think it is a make or break season for him to a certain extent because, like I said, he's the number two D tackle in the league right now. Let's say he doesn't have an amazing season and maybe only puts up five sacks this year and but plays every single game, and maybe he drops to now the seventh or eighth best D tackle. It does hurt your value. I think it does hurt your value. That hurts when it comes to contract negotiations, whether it's with the chiefs or to another team in free agency, that's like that you could knock off $5 million right there just by dropping that subtly. So exactly. It kind of reminds me like when like an athlete uh, is in like the draft combine and they, they don't do well at like a certain drill or whatever and, and like it hurts their stock or something like that like every little thing is taken into account because again this is millions of dollars we're talking mm-hmm. about here this mm-hmm. isn't like you know a couple of, a couple of dollars here and there like you know obviously to like the owners it, it you know it's it's a different story but this is a lot of money that's potentially on the line and so i think if he goes out and let's say he has a career year for sure he's getting paid no matter if it's with the chiefs or with another team, he will get paid if he has a monster year this year. Like if he just like blows all his numbers out of the water and exceeds all his expectations or the team's expectations. And if Kansas city wins back to back Super Bowls, best believe he's going to get paid. Yeah. 100%. At that point, I don't think it will be a question at all. No question. All right, but now since we're on the topic of make or break, let's talk about the biggest players who are on a make or break season this year. So me and Corey came up with four players, regardless of position, but we came up with four players. So, Corey, I'll let you go first. Who's your first player who is on a make or break season? Quarterback Cleveland Browns, Baker, Maker, Mayfield. This is make or break for Baker Mayfield because this is the magical year, year three. This is the year where you gotta you gotta not only talk the talk, but you gotta walk the walk. And so far, Baker, to his credit, has not been talking too much, or really has been talking too crazy or anything like that. He said he's trying to go a different route this year and just go about letting his uh, play on the field do the talking for him. What, a, what a normal what a normal athlete would do. hey i think that's smart though i think that's smart especially now like you said like we even talked about early on with uh nick chubb um they got a new coaching staff so there's going to be changes there that there's going to be adjustments and with the current situation that we're in right now as far as sports it's already tough in itself with new staff and new personnel coming in uh 
being able to adjust to a whole different system. Think about it. Baker Mayfield's been in the NFL. This will be his third season, and this will be his third NFL head coach. That in itself is my – that's, that's crazy. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's really hard to deal with. And so I think that the thing with Baker is that, especially with him being a quarterback, not only does he need his play to be doing the talking, but let's say the Browns like have like a bad game, like they lose to a team that they're not supposed to lose to or something like that. Uh, he he needs to be a like I need to see leadership qualities out of Baker Mayfield this season. I need to see something that gets people to start to believe that not only are the Browns beginning to turn things around, but they are on the cusp of doing something great. Because a lot, there was a lot of hype last year about like the Browns doing something, but the thing that I think held them back this year was not just uh, the play on the field, but obviously with the coaching staff. And I just think that Baker has to lead and and show and, and show his team and, and be he can be fiery. Like even Tom Brady is 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 is, is has some fiery moments on the sideline and gets hyped up, you know. So he can be a fiery guy. He can, you know, be himself. I'm not saying that he has to be, like, completely do a 180 and, and, and change who he is. He should be himself. But at the same time, I think he also needs to display maturity. And all I think you want at the quarterback position from a young quarterback is for them to show growth and maturity and to show that they are getting better, not just on the field, but off the field as well. And I think if Baker can eliminate him being a distraction and more so showcase leadership qualities, growth, and stability and consistency, that'll go a long way for the Browns to be able to be like, okay, we, 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 we got this far this season, but let's, let's take this and, and, and run with it, and let's get to the playoffs this year. Let's win a playoff game this year. You know, let's let's let let's let's go for it this year. So I think this year there's no excuses anymore. Baker Mayfield has to go and ball out. Yeah, exactly what you said about Baker Mayfield. The no excuses part. He had the excuse of a coaching staff. Then he had the excuse of a terrible offensive line. Now the guys ran out of excuses. They brought in brand new coaching staff. They drafted Jedrick Wills. They brought in Jack Conklin. They brought in another weapon in Austin Hooper. And, I mean, they kept uh, Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb. So, I mean, the guy's out of excuses. So, this is the ultimate make or break year for him. But I think who may have a bigger make or break year for him is Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, Uh, for sure. For sure. The Bears declined his fifth-year option. And he's just going to have this waving over his head unless he becomes into a star. He was taking the number two overall in as the first QB in the 2017 draft. And uh, same draft as Deshaun Watson, the same draft as Patrick Mahomes. Exactly. And I mean, he has that weight on his shoulder and no postseason success where we've seen Patrick Mahomes already win a Super Bowl. Deshaun Watson, I mean, I think Deshaun Watson is working with a lot less. So the fact that he hasn't had a, no, the amount of postseason success that we'd like to see. It's not well, well, his to fault. Be, to be, yeah, to be fair, double doing. I mean, exactly. <laughs> not I mean, all his fault, but <laughs> it's yeah, still I sad mean, when you talk about it. The double doing. 
That wild card game. Uh, but that I mean, will live, that I mean, will live can, on forever. I'm you sorry. Can, it you, will. Can, you can argue that he they should have been in that position in the first place. True. If Mitch Trubisky played better. But you I mean, can argue if it was Deshaun Jackson or Patrick Mahomes when he even gotten to that point. Just yeah. saying. Just saying. I mean, just saying. Just saying. The thing is, though, is Deshaun Watson doesn't have a defense like the Bears have had. Through Mitch Trubisky's entire career, He's had a top 10 defense, top mm. five, even some years as well, too. Mm. So, I mean, they're the ones that put him in that 11 and three situation two years ago where he had to face that double doink. But I mean, this past season, the guy didn't even break 4,000 yards, only had 17 touchdowns, 10 picks, 193 rush yards, two touchdowns. To put that into perspective, Kyler Murray topped all those numbers as a rookie with arguably the worst offensive line in the NFL. So, I mean, he has a defense. He has he has a great coach in Matt Nagy over there, too. I mean, Matt Nagy. The quarterback was, whisperer. The quarterback whisperer. I mean, <laughs> that's what they call him. But his, some of his play-calling decisions were a little suspect this past year. But, I mean, I still put it on, on Mitch Trubisky. And not to mention, they brought in Big Dick Nick, former Super Bowl MVP. And I don't know whether – that's because they declined Mitch Trubisky's fifth-year option, so they're kind of moving forward if he doesn't play well, which I think they will, or that's just to light a fire under his ass because if you think about it, he never really had a good backup behind him. Chase Daniels, like, come on now. So that's why this is a gigantic make-or-break year for Mitch Trubisky. I mean, you talk about gigantic. If he doesn't perform, he's out of the league, like, Damn, you think anybody, that, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he's out of the league's that I mean, he could, far, he could probably – okay, he could, he'd he could maybe – He'd probably get be like a Blake backup. Bort, he'd probably be a bit Blake Bortles. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Because yeah. I was low-key thinking, I was like – because I'm thinking as far as starter, but I, I forget there are guys now who are former starters that do still get chances as, as backups, but – I was Marcus, just thinking like, Marcus man. Mariota, number two pick in the draft. That's very out. true. That's very true. Even Jameis Winston. So, yeah. Yeah. So, we'll, we'll have to see. But ultimate break or break here for him. All right. Who's your number two player? Number two player going with wide receiver, Mr. John Ross. I feel like John Ross, man. Mr. Could have won an island if he wore Adidas to the combine. <laughs> John Ross. Yeah. I mean, Mr. He, he he set records, like looked like one of. He looked like he was gonna be something at the combine, and he got drafted to Cincinnati, and he just really hasn't done anything. I mean, part of that is because he's been injured so much, but at the same time, it's it's just it it, it is that time for John Ross to kind of realize. It's, it's no more games to be played or it's no more excuses to be had. It's either perform on the field or might have to be looking for a new team. So I mean, the thing is, is the guy showed – he showed glimpses of being a great receiver. I remember exactly. at the beginning, the beginning of last year, he had, like, multiple 100-yard games. Exactly. And, I remember, I remember but that, But then too. injuries is his problem or he just won't show up to a game. And it's just, like, it's, it's really weird. But I think now that he – has somewhat I mean not to say Andy Dalton wasn't but now that he has a fresh new young quarterback maybe that could help him out but I mean he has a lot Joe Burrow has a lot of mouths to feed with AJ Green Tyler Boyd and John Ross as well 
another, you know, and you bring up AJ Green. AJ Green, he's hungry. He's hungry because I would even say if, he's on a make or break season as well. Exactly, exactly. I would say that too. Uh, but I, I mean, feel like he was franchise tagged by the Bengals. So I, yeah, I feel like um, both of the wide receivers at uh, Cincinnati kind of like it's 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 going to be a really interesting year for them because Cincinnati might really be in a totally different offensive situation come twenty twenty one. Oh, not even to mention, I forgot to mention this guy, Auden Tate. Guy had a very quiet but good year last year, too. So, I mean, a lot of mouths to feed there. And obviously, you have Joe Mixon as well. Yeah. All right. So, the player I'm going to go with, my number two player, is Leonard Fournette. I think 2020 is going to be a make-or-break season for the Jags in general. But more than the Jags, it's going to be for Leonard Fournette. I mean, I'm a fan of the number four overall pick. And but the guy does stupid stuff like punching guys <laughs> the helmets on. and it's just like what are you doing guy what are you doing what so, are you doing and the thing is is he has the potential to be a top running back in the game and i mean the guy accumulated 1700 yards last year from the line of scrimmage but despite that the, the, the jaguars decided to decline his fifth year option i mean i wouldn't have personally but i mean there are reports also that he was a part of trade talks and no mm-hmm. disrespect to Gardner Minshew, but Fournette is the most important player in that Jags offense. And yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the reason why I say that is because he's a power back with like very sneaky elusiveness. And that creates a matchup for defenses. Teams basically have been stacking the box against the Jags, which, and he still put up those numbers in 2019. So, I mean, I, I still don't know why they declined this option, but I guess that means they don't have faith in him, which would make this a make-or-break season. And, I mean, they brought in a brand-new offensive coordinator in Jay Gruden as well. So, I mean, if Fournette puts up the numbers like he did last year, which, by the way, were all career highs in rushing yards, yards per carry, receptions, receiving yards, and games played. So, I mean, but if he puts up those numbers, I still won't be surprised if the Jags let him walk because, if they have a losing season, Me if they don't, have a, if they don't have a winning record, because if he has that season, he's going to demand high, like top running back uh, figures in terms of. And if of you're the money. Jags, if you're the Jags, and you just said it, if you're the Jags, are you willing to shove out a lot of money to a guy who has the talent, is a beast, but like you said, does stupid stuff? I, that, that's what I'm saying. And plus, if the Jags have another losing season this year, I think they're going to have to convince themselves that they're in a rebuilding process. Because I think to the Jags, they kind of think that they could contend, but they could be in rebuilding. So they kind of don't really have that identity. But I think they're like, if they, if they have a losing season, they're going to go in the rebuilding process. And they're like, why are we going to pay this guy so much money if we're still in the rebuilding process and they're going to let him walk. And that's why I think, if, if he doesn't play it up, up to expectations or, God forbid, he sustains an injury, he could be playing next year on a one-year prove-it contract for yeah. 2021. So even if he's not playing for a contract for Jacksonville he in 2020, he's basically the season is a tryout for 31 other teams in the NFL. Yeah, and it's funny that you mention it because the next player that, you know, I got is on that one-year prove-it contract in Todd Gurley with the uh, Atlanta Falcons. And it's like, it's just so crazy how you just blink and 
Todd Gurley now is in a situation where he's having to prove his talent when you just look not too long ago, the guy was considered one of, if not the top running backs in the league. Yo, it is so crazy how the running back position, there's so much turnover with that position as far as rankings. It, it, and you just and you just have to be astonished sometimes and, and look back and look at the fact that you got Frank Gore and Adrian Peterson still going strong in the league. Like, it's it's just so crazy. Like, you, you see those guys still doing it, and next thing you know, you see Todd Gurley trying to play on a, on a one-year proven contract with ATL. It's just like – it's just so crazy. With I think that was such a great get for ATL, even though he didn't have a season that he had last year. But, but I think – they weren't having nothing with Devontae Freeman. I think any of the running backs that they too, had. So. He was too busy getting picked up by Aaron Donald. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think this is an ultimate, like, this is a make or break year for Todd Gurley, not only just for the next couple of years. This could be for his career, too, because I think if he doesn't play, he's going to have to. Kind you of, might have to think about retirement. Exactly. Too. I mean, the guy has already – he's suffered arthritis in his knees at the age of 26. And running backs, they are – they take a lot of hits and a lot of brute. So, I mean, if you're having knee problems at the age of 26, who's to say you're going to be okay at the age of 30? Yeah, that's what I'm and saying. And trust me, so. I'm saying that. I'm a guy <laughs> with a lot of knee problems. For those who don't know, Kush has had, what, multiple ACL injuries, right? I've torn my ACL three times, twice on my left leg and once on my – actually, currently, my right leg is torn right now, but it happened right before this whole COVID thing happened, so I still am waiting to get surgery on that. Jesus, dude. So, crazy. trust me, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get arthritis, which is unfortunate, but Todd Gurley, I mean <laughs> – you're an NFL running back. Like, you can't be having arthritis. <laughs> yo, it's just like, that's what I'm just saying. It's like, yo, it's a very unfortunate situation. And, um, maybe, but Atlanta definitely but you got... know, But you know, but you know what's great, though, is that he is, you know, it's, it, I think it's something about, like, when athletes go back to a familiar place or they go back to, like, uh, like either where they grew up or a city that they used to call home. Like, he's going back to Georgia and, like, mm-hmm. He had like a lot of success when he was at the University of Georgia, and I don't know. I'm not saying that Kyle Gurley's just gonna like you know have like a crazy Derrick Rose moment and just 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 tear up the NFL or something like that. But hey, who knows? Well, Maybe the, he could win Comeback Player of the Year. The Falcons are geniuses. After losing Tevin Coleman two years ago, and now losing Devontae Freeman, they got this guy on a low, low risk, high reward contract. So. Exactly. I mean, they, if he if he ends up turning out like the Todd really once knew, they are going to have to open up their checkbooks to him. But yeah, but like I said, he could maybe be a potential uh, sleeper for that comeback player of the year. So for you never sure, know. you never know. All right, my next player I got is Corey Davis. <laughs> 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 Pretty much all my guys, they uh, they have their fifth year option declined, and so far the. Two people that I've talked about before and the third one were all from the 2017 draft and were all top five picks in the draft. I mean, Corey Davis was breaking records left and right at Western Michigan. He heck, he owns the NCAA uh, all-time receiving record. He has the most receiving yards in FBS history. And I, I mean, I remember when the draft was happening, I wanted the Ravens to trade up and draft this guy because I really thought he was legit. And 
2017, the Ravens' best receivers was a washed-up Jeremy Macklin and a washed-up Mike Wallace. So, I mean, we needed some youth. And, I mean, we had Brashard Perriman, who was a bust, but I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but Corey Davis was a beast in college and was the number one receiver taken off the board. And in a draft that was he was taken before Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin, Cooper Cup, Juju Smith, and, heck, you can even throw a Mike Williams for good measure. So, I mean, I sh- actually, to be honest, I have receipts. I should have been the Ravens GM this year in 2017 because I tweeted saying in the second round the Ravens should go either Juju Smith or Cooper Cup. I had the receipts for it. If I can go back and find it in 2017, <laughs> I'm going to show y'all. But back to, the, to Corey Davis. I mean, in his three years in the NFL – Taken as a number five pick or the number five overall pick in the draft, you got to be shining bright like a star. I mean, the guy hasn't even put up over 900 yards in a season, hasn't put up five over five touchdowns in a season. So if you're if you're the number five pick in the draft, you got to do better than that. And the Titans were know that maybe this isn't our guy, and they went out in the second round and drafted AJ Brown out of Ole Miss. And even AJ Brown had a thousand yard re- receiving season, and eight touchdowns. So it's definitely not the scheme. It's not the coaching. I think it's Corey Davis. And I think lucky for Davis, the Titans don't have anyone outside of AJ Brown to pass to. I mean, they lost Delaney Walker. Jonu Smith may take another step, but I mean, outside of that, they really don't have anybody. So maybe an off season with Ryan Tannehill will help him out this upcoming season, but I won't be surprised if he doesn't have a good season yet again and the Titans let him walk. Yeah, um, I know somebody who's a, a diehard Titans fan, and they were so heavily high on Corey Davis that they were they were so excited to get him in. But and it was crazy because I think that was the same draft where they got Corey Davis and then they uh, drafted a Dory Jackson. He hated the fact that they drafted a Dory Jackson. But Honestly, it's so not even, not crazy even how Titans the tables fan. turned. Not even a, I'm not even a Titans fan, but. I, I think that was every single NFL fan. I think they thought that Corey Davis was going to be a star in the making and Dory was a reach. But it's funny how flip-flop that <laughs> you is. Just flip. That's, that's why I say, like, yo, the draft does not mean – just because you drafted a guy who is, like like you said, like set records, records, has the, the you know, the most uh, receiving yards in FBS history. Like, that's crazy. And that doesn't turn into anything whatsoever in the NFL. It's like, yo, that's that just shows like the pros is just different level, man. It's just mm-hmm. different beast in itself. And I think it, I think he, you know, honestly, I think it might be a situation where he might have to get to a, a new team because I, I remember it took him like almost over half the season to get his first touchdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean, so. Uh, it's a difficult situation, and wide receiver is one of those situations where, at the pro level, it's hard to to adjust to. And so he's had just a lot, a lot of opportunity and a lot of chances, but he just—I don't think he's made that adjustment yet. And so this year, like you said, this is make or break for Corey Davis, and he kind of has to show something, something. He'll have like be, a breakout. He has to have a breakout year for sure. Otherwise, he will find himself on a prove-it contract next year. All right, who's your fourth player? All right, my last player I'm going to go with is Hunter Henry of not San Diego, but the L.A. Chargers. <laughs> so they'll, they'll never be an L.A. team. Never. <laughs> never. They'll never be adopted, never be loved. 
yo, it's San They're Diego. Is still, still, San Diego still pissed. San Diego still pissed. But nah, Hunter Henry though, tight end. Uh, I remember I got this guy in fantasy last year, and I was so excited because I was like, yo, this was like, you know, one of the top tight ends to get. And so I was thinking like, oh, okay, I got me a steal. Little did I know the injury history with this man is troubling to say the least. Hunter Henry, man, he just has had real problems and real issues to staying healthy. But when he's on the field, mm-hmm. he, like, it's, it's arguably that you could say that he could be potentially up there as one of the best tight ends in the NFL. Oh, when healthy, I would even say he's a top five tight end in the NFL. Yeah, because, I mean, like, he's right up there with uh, the likes of, like, Kittle and, and Kelsey. So, I mean, but it's just always been a, a troubling issue with him staying on the field. And, like, we talked about with the Chargers earlier – with uh you know a brand new uh quarterback like as far as starting wise with Tyrod Taylor kind of like taking over the reins or maybe Justin Herbert we'll see this is going to be an interesting year for the Chargers and Hunter Henry kind of has to be present for it if he wants to remain a part of the Chargers organization otherwise he could maybe be finding himself on another team so it's kind of it'll be interesting to see with Hunter Henry um, if he can have like a breakout, because I've seen him on the field, like just just dismantle all uh, defenses. So mm-hmm. I kind of want to see, I kind of want to see him have like a crazy breakout year. And I think Anthony Lynn and the Chargers know that he is a key weapon for them, uh, and they they should definitely utilize him as long as he's able to stay healthy. Yeah, and I think if, if, uh, lucky for Hunter Henry, whether the Chargers decide to go Tyrod Taylor, whether they decide to go with uh, Justin Herbert. If they go Tyrod Taylor, Tyrod Taylor is not known to be a deep ball passer. So he, he can definitely check down a Hunter Henry or Austin Eckler. Those are going to be his targets right there. And for Justin Herbert, a guy who's new in the league, you normally see young quarterbacks who are adjusting to the NFL use their check downs a lot too, which is to their tight ends or to their running back. So Hunter Henry, depending on who his quarterback is, definitely has a chance to shine. But my fourth and last pick, I'm going to go with my boy, Sidney Jones. Uh, <laughs> for you guys that don't know, Sidney Jones plays cornerback for the Eagles. And he and I played on the same peewee football teams growing up. RIP Walnut Dunbar Cowboys did now disband. <laughs> but, <laughs> Damn. But, um, yeah, we played in the same team, and then we played against each other in high school. He went to West Covina High School. I went to Walnut. We were dog shit, but that's a good <laughs> story. Um, so he wasn't even highly recruited coming out of high school, and then he committed to Washington, where he became a true freshman and a star uh, defensive back for the Huskies. And going to the 2017 draft, he was supposed to be the first cornerback taken off the board. Every single scout had him as a number one before Marshawn Lattimore. Before mm. Marlon Humphreys, Adoree Jackson, Gary on Conley, Tredavious White, Kevin. G- God damn, this was a yeah, no. draft <laughs> and quarterback. Yeah, sir. 2017 was not playing around as far as the man. Now that I think about it, it's actually a stacked year at corner. Stacked. Stacked. But yeah, he was supposed to be taken before all these guys, but unfortunately for him, on his last workout of his pro day, he ruptured his Achilles. So he dropped, he dropped as a, to a second-round pick, and his whole rookie year, he was basically spent rehabbing. Um, and then his second, third, and fourth year, he was battling nagging injuries. So he's, he's kind of been injury-prone, which sucks, but 
And and the crazy thing is, Eagle fans thought they got a steal with him. Steal. And I thought I thought they did too. But he really hasn't played up to the hype that Eagle, Eagles fans want him to play up to. And I mean, the guy has definitely shown flashes of being a great player. And last year, we saw him against the Giants uh, on third and short in a close game. He got a stop, helped the Eagles right. win. And then in the against the Cowboys, which was the biggest one, this, this game was, what was it, week 16? And this was basically for the division and to make the playoffs. On third and eight, he stopped Amari Cooper. And on fourth and eight, he stopped Michael Gallup. And the Eagles ended up winning the game. So he shows those glimpses. And But the thing is, is his injuries. And, I mean, the Eagles need defensive backs in a bad way. We were talking about it with the Jamal Adams. but So they got Darius Slay. But they still need a guy to line up across Darius Slay. I mean, because they had Jalen Mills, who – but they had Jalen Mills. <laughs> Mills who they uh, moved from corner to safety now because of the loss of Malcolm Jenkins. So really yeah. it's just Sidney Jones and it's uh, Avante Maddox battling for that quarterback number two spot. And I mean, that, that that's why this is a make or break season for Sidney. And I think teams will always be game planning to throw away from Darius Slay, which is smart, which means that whether it's Sidney Jones uh, on as playing as a second cornerback, he can – that's literally the definition of a make or break. He can show that he d- belongs in this league and deserves to be a star like he once was in college, or he may he, – he, he won't play as well and the, the Eagles will let him walk in free agency. So, but lucky for him, I mean, the guy is 24 years old. So even if he does walk, I mean, every single team needs a corner. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he gets that uh, prove it year deal. But I I think injuries aside, this guy has the potential to be a great player. But then again, injuries is always your worst enemy for some players. Yep, it's the worst thing, man. But uh, like you said, like the Eagles desperately need to get the uh, defense sorted. And I think if he has a breakout year, that'll do not only wonders for him, but the Eagles as a whole, because one of the biggest things that I never always feel that I I don't feel confident whenever it comes to like picking the Eagles to win their division, even though don't get me wrong. I mean, they have like on paper, a a good, good team. And they still have like the the makings of the team that won that, uh, that 2017 Super Bowl. The thing is, is though that you just can't rely on this defense <laughs> to consistently week in and week out be there and be a consistent top five, top ten defense in the NFL. So, and I mean, especially given that division, I mean, the Giants, they, the Daniel Jones was looked promising last year as well, too, especially with some of their younger. Receivers. You don't have enough time. Yeah, you don't have a whole lot of time to waste as far as like being the Eagles. Because if Daniel Jones pops for the Giants, and then if they surround him with like a few more weapons, I mean they got Saquon. So, so I mean, not only not only that, but also you look at it from a defensive back perspective. The Cowboys just got C.D. Lamb after team. already having Michael Gallup and already having Amari Cooper. So I mean, the teams in the division are definitely getting They're getting better. They're getting better. They're get, and so. then don't look now, but I mean like. The Redskins, yeah, are in rebuilding now, but you blink and it could be – all it takes is one off season. All it takes even, is one off season. We don't off even season. know if they're going to be called the Redskins anymore. That's, that's true. That's true. We might be looking at a totally different yep. uh, Washington team come next year. We shall see. 
for sure all right well that's gonna wrap it up for this episode we appreciate you guys tuning in to our friday episode we'll be back to our monday thursday schedule next week don't worry about it but uh if you guys haven't checked us out on social media please be do- sure to do so i fumbled the bag right there talking too much nfl <laughs> i'm fumbling <laughs> i know you over here acting like uh like oh boy you were dropping it dropping the ball oh. <laughs> drop the ball right hey, there at, at least i jumped on it on like cam newton oh shoot hey, was- <laughs> hey, hey, you didn't like fracture your face and break any bones like oh dude. buddy wow. like freaking joe sprints 1939 baby i know baby <laughs> Nah, but check us out on social media at the underscore nosebleeds on Twitter, at the nosebleeds on Instagram, Facebook, the nosebleeds podcast, that's K-N-O-W-S bleeds. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts, feel free to give us this five-star rating and a review if you're feeling generous. Corey, any last words? Final words. Make sure you guys stay safe. Please don't pull a Jason Pierre Paul and blow Mm-mm. your hand off this weekend. Please Put it in reverse, safe. Terry. Put it in reverse. <laughs> Please be safe this weekend. Whatever it is, whether it's shooting off fireworks or just barbecuing uh, on the grill or whatever the case may be, enjoy time with the family. Stay safe. Still remember COVID is a real thing. So please wear your mask. Please be careful wherever you're going, whatever you're doing. And be make sure that you guys have a great weekend and enjoy yourselves out there. But this has been the Nosebleeds, your number one source when it comes to podcasts. And we out of this thing. We out. Deuces.